everyone. Welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. It's always a crapshoot when I do these uh, relatively late at night. Sometimes we get a lot of people, sometimes a smaller crowd, but uh, that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm mostly just going to take your questions slash comments slash criticisms. This is the Thursday evening super civil discussion, so keep it super civil. Um, but before I do, I just got back from Wyoming. I flew into Denver. Spent a couple of days in Colorado Springs, not Colorado, not Colorado Springs, Steamboat Springs, very different places is my understanding. Um, and I went to Wyoming basically to give a talk and to visit a class. I ended up doing that was sort of informal and talked to some faculty members there as part of this program they do that is in part geared at basically teaching critical thinking skills to uh, freshmen. And it was really cool and it was refreshing. And I mentioned this on Twitter, but it just sort of emphasized how uh, just the level of disconnect with so many of the fights we have in media world and in academia world. Um, it was very cool to visit this university because they take almost everyone and it's like 30 to 40% uh, for uh, first generation students. So the talk I gave was about grit and basically how I think um, luck really determines stuff. You know, effort plays a role. I just think luck is this big, thing we don't talk about that plays a much bigger role than anything else. And I talked about my own background, how I was raised in a place where I sort of had a lot of advantages and my own lack of grit didn't matter. And it was just interesting saying stuff that I think in most like, you know, bougie liberal settings isn't that controversial. It's just like part of how we're socialized to think about our privilege and how lucky we are. But I think it, it like graded on some of these kids because a lot of them are from, like I said, the first generation college students. They have worked really hard to get to the University of Wyoming to be able to go to college at all. And um, people do not like that idea. It's like it's a really tough sell to tell people that luck decides a lot of stuff because they want it to think that it's like their particular effort. Um, the problem that I've never been able to get past is like huge numbers of people, you know, put a ton of effort into stuff and never get where they want to be. So, yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience. I, I just, you can't overstate the difference between the sorts of places myself and an increasing percentage of journalists live and hang out in the, the cultural air we breathe and the waters we swim in versus, like, as soon as you leave that, it's just jarring how, I don't know, how little we understand about how a lot of people think and, and understand the world. Um more folks should get in the queue. Um, I have one other thing I could talk about, but let's let's start with Pierre. Pierre, what is up? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, let me know if you can't hear me. Uh, I can hear you fine. Okay. Hey, so I don't know if you've opined on this yet, but if you haven't, I wanted to see if you had any opinion on the Michael Tracy Holocaust thing. Yeah, so I have not looked deeply into it. My sense is he... It seems like he's like dug himself a little bit of a hole. Um, his basic argument is that people overstate the role of the U.S. in um, ending the Holocaust and saving Jewish people's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a nuanced take there. Um, but his refusal to engage in, um, like, what's the consequence of U.S. not entering the war? Like, he just immediately says that's a hypo, uh, what's it called a counterfactual and then basically won't entertain it but I think that like that's a you have to um, you know incorporate that into your analysis if you don't then I just don't think it's like a full and out 
thorough analysis. Yeah, I mean, if that, if that's truly the case, that he just hasn't been willing to grapple with like what would have happened if we hadn't entered, that that doesn't seem like a thorough way to go about it. I take it this is just an extension of him. Um, he went in this direction or was was pulled in this direction because people criticize him for being against our involvement in Ukraine to the extent that we're giving them billions of dollars. Right. I mean, he, he tried to couch it in, and he tries to make broader normative arguments and links it to that. Um, and I agree like that you can't really use world people use World War Two as an analogy way too often. But I just I try to like I called into a show a couple of weeks ago after one of his it was the same show that Jonathan Katz called into and they had a big debate um, about it. Um, I don't know if you know Jonathan. <laughs> No, but, he's I, he's very unpleasant on Twitter. Assuming it's the same one, but yeah, yeah. So I just yeah. So and I'm not even exaggerating when I say he won't entertain the counterfactual. Like he just will not like speculate or not even speculate. Like on balance, did the was the U.S. entering a good thing or bad bad thing? Yes, baking in all this stuff, propaganda and all that. Like even incorporating all of that was it? You got you you know, what's your opinion? And he just won't. But I think if you don't do that, then you can't really make any normative arguments out of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, again, I'm not familiar with exactly what he has said. I've sort of honest, to be honest, I've stayed away from like the more toxic seeming corners of the Ukraine debate. It just seems like it's gotten really bad, but um, yeah, you can't make a claim about if you, if you want, if you want to engage with the counterfactual, it just seems like bad sort of epistemic hygiene, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right, thanks for talking with me. Thanks, Pierre. Yeah. Andrew, what is up? Hey, Jesse, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I feel like I have to ask you that every time I call in. Um, eh, it's a normal thing to ask. Thank you. Um, so on the on the luck thing, um, I guess just to make conversation here, so is the, is the university you were at in Wyoming a particularly difficult school to get into? Because I think... Um, you know, being someone who is lower class, like there was always, I felt like a, a, an equivalency that people from more elite institutions would try to bring up where, you know, the odds of the school, of you getting into a certain school are like one in millions versus like the odds are one in 10 or even like one in two. And somehow those were sometimes held to be equivalencies. So for instance, I think you'd, you'd probably say it's fair to say, you don't really have to be lucky so much as you have to be not unlucky to have certain breaks in life. Would you, I don't, I don't know. Just your well for you to react. Yeah. To. I mean, that's So to be fair, like the university of Wyoming uh, takes almost everyone, but th like to be in a position where you can apply to college and actually go there and graduate, especially if you don't come from a background with a lot of college educated people is like a pretty heavy lift. So that was what I meant when I said like, right. They, it's, I think it just demonstrates a certain baseline amount of grit just to be the first in your, uh, you know, family to go to college. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, I'm always fascinated when you, when you mention luck because it's, uh, I don't know, it, to me it's a factor, but it's, it's uh, not the only factor. And no, I don't, I don't think you usually it's... work around it by just make, taking lots of chances. Yeah. Well, so I don't, I don't um, disagree. I'm not saying it's the only factor. I'm saying, if you're coming from like a privileged background, you have so many safety nets and second and third and fourth chances. That was my experience as like a little bit of a mm. teenage fuck up. And 
Um, I, I quoted from a book called like when grit is not enough, which is by a boss in mm. principle who points out that like, if you don't have that safety net and you fail to fill out a form in college or you can't pay tuition right. one semester, sometimes you're just sort of screwed. And that's like, it. not always, but it's just like, it just mm. seems like there's very different standards for richer and poorer kids basically. No, I, I'd agree with that. I just, um, I don't know. To, to me, there's a, there's a gradient there and, um, you know, just whatever I can do to spread the message that one one failure isn't your whole life. By oh, totally. No, and 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 I, I I want that to be more the case than it is. Also, like as I was talking to these kids, like I realized, like uh, it's for a lot of people, self conception. It's really important. This idea that they have grit and they'll try hard, and these are not bad yeah. habits to inculcate. They're important, and like especially like Wyoming, the whole. I, I, there's very little signage there that does not have a little, like a silhouette of a cowboy on it. That's like a really yeah. big part of the culture. Like it's like, even though they were all Hispanic in real life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, um, or bowler it's hats. Just, it, 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 right. It's just this ridiculously hostile, arid, very difficult to tame place. So I think that idea is really baked into the culture there that like you yeah. fucking, you have a little plot of land and, Nature tries to kill you, but you persevere. So I can see why my messaging about grit might not might not be that welcome there. Because grit, like they probably all have stories yeah. in their families of people having real grit just to survive there. It's a crazy place. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I, I just I, I always just found it, you know, again primarily because you said you needed people in the queue. Like I, because I would sometimes go to those kind of lectures at my college. Um, not that I went anywhere fancy. I went to the University of Washington. Um, uh, and it seemed like people wouldn't modulate the speech that they would give at Yale versus the speech that they would give to us. And I just always thought that was a bit curious. You would have wanted them to modulate it. How exactly? Well, it's, it's, it's like winning, you know, a million dollars in the lottery versus like you won another lottery ticket. What, yes, what is you're lucky? Well, like getting into Yale is like you won a million dollars. Right. And then going to a public university that's, you know, good um, is more like you won a lottery ticket that got you in a lottery ticket. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you sort of yeah. need to keep at it and keep applying yourself. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Right. I, know, so, I, think... so I, I don't know. To, to me, when, 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 we, when we weight luck too much, like, like again, it's, just, it's a factor. It's not the only one. Totally agree. I don't even know that you disagree, but no, no, no. Okay. I think you're making totally good points, and and the class dynamics here are interesting because it's easy. Yeah, I got to think about it more, but it's just it's it, like as a slightly more privileged person, you're like supposed to be you're socialized to be like we have right. privilege, we're lucky. But on the other hand, like if you read the meritocracy trap, which is a great book by by a guy from Yale, coincidentally, he talks about how privileged people also just work the hell out of their kids and spend millions of dollars, you know, injecting yeah. them with every kind of training imaginable. So obviously rich people believe in a sort of grit. So yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's like, um, I'm trying to think like I have a friend uh, whose father like owned, he was a dentist that owned other dentist practices. So like I explained a business idea I had to her once and she was like, well, just ask your dad for, you know, half a million dollars. <laughs> just like that. And she couldn't, can, yeah, she couldn't conceive that my dad didn't just have half a million dollars. And then I, I also have to remember, like, okay, well, th like, I went to uh, school with a kid who came from a family of, like, 11 kids, and his dad was, like, a crazy war veteran guy and just beat on all of oh, them. Oh, God. 
and like compared to him i had i was i was the family that who of uh, of a dentist who owned other, other dentists so right <laughs> i don't know to, yeah. again the, the gradient is a is a much bigger thing i think than this it's always seems like binary you're lucky or you're not i think that's totally fair all right thank you jesse thanks andrew kw what's up hey jesse how are you good how are you okay good very glad you enjoyed university of wyoming it Sounds like a much more chill place than some of the elite colleges where these woke blowups happen. Uh, it sounds kind of like where I went to school. I went to Towson University here in Baltimore. Oh, cool! Uh, funny story. Believe uh, uh, one of my one of my classmates, a guy I took a couple of classes with, Brian Stelter of CNN. Oh, wow! That's funny. Yeah, I, I didn't know him that well. He was kind of a low-key guy back then. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool story. I kind of, sort of knew a famous person. But, anyway, more what I wanted to get into was, uh, first of all, I loved that article you recently wrote on your Substack about, uh, what was it, Richard Spencer, about the, the uh, pretty reasonable article that was written about him back when he was, you know, when they were describing him as oh yeah and all just that. just to fill people in and then I'll, I'll let you continue so they know this is a piece i did on my newsletter about um you know the question of whether journalists should sort of handhold readers to the correct moral position and i focused on this ridiculous blow-up over this really good profile of richard spencer in 2016 that people subsequently said you know condoned him or normalized him which if you read the article is ridiculous because the author you know made it clear Spencer is an intellectual lightweight, but it was a little bit more nuanced and really dug into his history and his connection to Stephen Miller and stuff. So anyway, that's the basics. Yeah. And I'm basically with you saying that, you know, you got to at least. You can't assume your entire audience is idiots like that. It's just like you're you're already swimming uphill with uh, conservatives be to begin with. If you go down this moralizing path, they are only going to hate you more. You're not exactly going to do better. No, and and I, I I don't know. I it's obviously a strong argument when I say that I feel like this exhibits contempt for readers, but if you look at a lot of like the sort of anti-misinformation or or anti-racism stuff, it does sort of treat people as like irredeemably dumb like we need to protect them from bad information yeah and and look i my views on that are complicated because like there is such a thing as misinformation and it can spread but i Mm -hmm. I don't know you need to give people some ability to work the world out for themselves it's true and you know i part of me thought that you know trump caused all this but and in fact i've vaguely sort of been kind of sort of predicting that this really doesn't get any better until, well, this is going to sound pretty fucked up, but until he dies, you know what I mean? Because I mean, it's like, I, can yeah. sort of, I can sort of see where you're coming from. Yeah. And Voldemort is gone. The cloud is lifted, uh, so to speak. Right. Right. But I recently read something. I uncovered an old Freddie DeBoer article from, believe it or not, Andrew Sullivan's old newsletter way back in 2014. It was called When Online Social Liberalism Lost the Script. We know the story by now. It talks about how social liberalism used to be this sort of freeing 
joyful thing that was against all the moralizing super religious conservatives of years past but now it's just sort of turned a corner where it it's become the thing it it used to fight where it's now there's so many ways you can step on a landmine and instead of people being here let me talk you through this it's just a culture of attack shame mob humiliate destroy we all know this by now it's we've seen it it's interesting that he was on it that early though um, will you after yeah, you get get off my... this? Will you drop the the t- the headline of that in the chat after we get off? Sure, absolutely. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I was stunned. At, like I was like, wow, he was on this beat for a long time. There, and, there was around that time. I... There was also uh, sorry to interrupt you, but Michelle Goldberg had a piece in sure. the Nation, twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, called something like the problem with toxic Feminism's online toxic feminism twitter wars yeah exactly yeah yeah and it was same thing just like she really called it in a way that uh she was way ahead of stuff yeah and you know things are getting a smidge better now uh now that we're in 2022 we've had a few years of the biden administration but in some ways it's getting worse i mean the last time i called in i talked about how what was that documentary where people were freaking out and trying to censor it and it was coming from the, the unredacted, left. yeah. That thing. Well, I've been noticing something a little bit just with like our big name our big name culture, our your Disney, your Marvel, your Lord of the Rings, your huge name franchises, they are really going hard, some of them on culture war stuff. Like and I think you wrote about this once. Like, let's take, for example, the this new Little Mermaid remake. I mean, it's cool. A, a black a black Little Mermaid, that's okay. I'm, I have no problem with that. But here's what goes on. Th- this is what happens. Uh, a is step one, a movie or TV show or something comes out that has diverse casting or girl boss themes or whatever. Conservative idiots lose their shit and they make all sorts of YouTubes losing their shit. And then you see the other side where all sorts of hashtag resistance liberals uh, take to the barricades to defend this, this art. Meanwhile, nobody notices that this is a fucking remake of shit we've already seen and that it's probably going to be pretty bad on the yeah, merits anyway. That, no, that tracks closely repeat, with my... Repeat, repeat. Yeah. Well, it was similar with like Ghostbusters where like... Was it, I see. I can't even keep these blow up straight. They're so dumb. There's also the one with Billy Eichner now in Bros. Um, there was I like was going to mention like, that too. Yeah, um, I I think at any given moment there's fifty people in the country mad that the Little Mermaid is black or that the fem- Ghostbusters are female, and some percentage of the people who say that are just trolls trying to rile stuff up. And it you gets to this really weird, creepy place where you're like defending the good name of a billion dollar corporation trying to sell us more cape shit and i don't really it's just so detached from like anything um but it is but obviously i do think like the biggest loser here are the people who would get mad about a black mermaid but um anyway that's uh it is uh, i appreciate the call kw this stuff gets so dumb and circular i agree it does if you wouldn't mind dropping that headline in the chat i'd appreciate it i mean the the name of the department i will thank you sir Thank you. Chris, after Chris, the queue's empty. If anyone else has a question or comment. What's up, Chris? Good evening, Jesse. Uh, how's it going? Good. What time is it where you are? Early morning. 
It's Friday in, morning. In Tokyo. In Tokyo. That's right. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. End of the week. Kind of good. <laughs> and then my um, understanding is Friday night, um, Japanese businessmen such as yourself just drink themselves into a blackout and then you wake up Monday morning ready to have another productive week. I believe what that's what they do. Yes. <laughs> the, what, what I do is go, go home and look after a three-year-old. So it's Aww. not that exciting. <laughs> just take the three-year-old out drinking. Well, he, yeah, yeah, that's, that, like, that's not frowned upon here. That's fine. <laughs> Cultural variants, who am I to judge? But, um, yeah, so I, I, had a, um, I had a specific question, and then it kind of relates to a, a broader thing, which I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion on. And the specific question is, I presume that you've noticed the thing about mermaids and the trustee Jacob Breslow. Um, and the controversy surrounding minor attracted persons and the talk he gave. Yeah, so because I was in Colorado and Wyoming, I haven't read up fully on this, but my my when I looked at it briefly, it seemed like another situation where maybe someone's getting piled on just for tell me if I'm wrong, for just for saying we should use the term map or for saying like we shouldn't assume anyone with pedophilic attractions is automatically going to act on them or is automatically evil. Is that, do I have that right? Or is it not like that? Uh, it's, I, I also haven't looked into it incredibly deeply, but I get the impression it's a bit more in line with the auto ethnography masturbation. Oh paper. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, the, but that, that's actually one of the things that I wanted to um, get your opinion on because you did that coverage pushing back a bit about you know recognizing that if there's an academic who's kind of saying we need to understand minor attracted people right like the euphemism uh, for pedophiles who haven't acted on it then uh it doesn't necessarily mean they endorse that lifestyle right like it, it, yeah. it can be a kind of academic way of looking at like marginalization or stuff like that right so but the, the, so the question I had was, I saw a lot of people, and I, th I think this guy has done like worse things than the academic who got like kind of gr ground down before. But in the, even if he has this guy, even if you know he has made arguments that are pro pedophile, I, I couldn't help think like I saw lots of, you know, the kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, like turfy side of Twitter celebrating this as like completely you know this completely destroys mermaids and it shows that it needs to be shut down and i i couldn't help but think like but if there was like a gay rights charity and one of the board turned out to be a pedophile we wouldn't jump to the conclusion that therefore the gay rights charity needs to be shut down yeah of course not yeah, so that part of the the kind of broader question I had was I'm I'm sure you also noticed that like within um, the kind of mm, gender critical feminist space, there's been a, like a growing conflict between people who think that they should be careful about allying with right wing um, individuals who likes you know appear to be supporting them about the issue about trans activism but 
but who have you know far right or uh, or worse <laughs> ideologies, yeah. and and then people pushing back saying that's you know that's people policing the left wing guardian elite and Helen Lewis and stuff. So I was just wondering, are you guys uh, thinking of covering that whole uh, kerfuffle on Black Reported? Yeah. What it's, are your opinions? Come up. I I don't know too much about it. It's come up as a potential thing to cover. I excuse me. I I think it's just too in the weeds. Frankly, we have a small number of listeners, and maybe I'll get feedback pointing me in another direction. We have a small number of listeners, like very up on the turf wars, or like involved in them. Um, I I find like the infighting just like sort of exhausting, and and I don't know. Like I don't. We haven't. We did like an episode about Graham Linehan, and that was it. And I, I find, I just find this. I also just, I, I sort of reject the premise that there's this huge amount of, um, like radical feminists working with the far right. I, the examples I've seen are always cherry picked. It's like one of them sat on. This is about Helen Lewis who like had one interview with a woman who said some creepy, no, not that's Helen Joyce. See, I can't even keep them straight. Is your view that there's actually a, a real ongoing, like serious alliance versus temporary alliance of alliances of convenience between like, you know, so-called turfs and actual far right people. Do you think that's a genuine thing? I, I really don't know. My impression of it is that there, there is a divide that like has kind of been long simmering and is becoming more evident. Um, when, like, figures like Posey Parker or, right. um, you know, because it's not, or, or Helen Joyce, like, talking to Jordan Peterson. It's not the fact of talking to Jordan Peterson, who I'm not labeling as, like, a far-right extremist, but it's the, you know, the content of that conversation definitely leans towards, like, a, a complete dismissal of, um, like, anybody legitimately being trans and that kind of thing. And it... So it it does strike me as like this recurrent issue where, you know, should people go and talk, talk at like Turning Point USA conferences or invite, like, should Colin Wright uh, go on Tucker Carlson um, and, and ignore, you know, what else Tucker Carlson does because he will promote the, the kind of gender critical point of view. And yeah, it seems to me that there actually is a significant divide in and a growing divide with people who are saying, oh, it's fine. You know, we don't have to endorse the people. We're just going to talk and get the message out. And the other people saying, no, this feeds into the narrative that it is all like a, you know, a right wing um, reactionary movement and that uh, there, there's really negative um, associations with it. So I don't, I don't know what is the correct thing, but I think the, the kind of division is real and will probably become like more uh, apparent as as like more of this kind of thing keeps happening. So yeah. so yeah, I, that's just my view. No, that's fair. I mean, I, I I'm always torn on like if it's a question of who should you be interviewed on, whose show versus who you're like working with politically. Like I would. Everyone draws the line differently. I find some of the stuff Tucker Carlson has said about immigrants, like I've looked into it and I find it legitimately disgusting. And to me, that's just a line. But like, 
I don't know. I can't. I can't say. If, I I disagree with Ben Shapiro on a ton of stuff. But would I turn down a Ben Shapiro invite if I like wrote an article about like you know my own views of the limitations on youth gender dysphoria? And I was confident that I could express my view that that doesn't mean they should be banned. It means we should study them for. I I, I don't think I would turn down that interview. And I know a bunch of people would be like freaking out about it. But the fact of the matter is, you want to reach a big audience, and I would much rather have myself presenting you know, a view about youth gender medicine on Ben Shapiro's show than whoever he would do instead, uh, invite instead, who would inevitably be further to the right than me, you know? I, like, with Tucker Carlson, I think you can, to be, you know, in general, is the exposure, uh, like, just worth it in general to get a position across. But I I think that, like, the cases which are, seem to me, like, uh, a, a stronger, a bigger issue is, like, uh, Say Posey Parker went on Jean Francois Garapi channel, and Garapi is like a minor YouTube figure, but he's basically a more extreme Stefan Molyneux, and you know white. That's pretty ethno. bad. Yeah, and so uh, Posey Parker's response was to kind of suggest that you know it's not endorsing the thing, but like if you go on white nationalist. Uh, like minor YouTubers who have, you know, uh, like indulged in outright anti-Semitism and stuff like that. That seems to me that's not identity politics. That's genuinely like, no, that's not a good, like the other stuff matters that people are pushing. Yeah, um, that's fair. I mean, I, that that would obviously be way too far for me. Stefan Molyneux would be too far for me also. Yeah. Jesse, just wanted to get your like uh, opinion on that. Enjoy your evening um without japanese salary man <laughs> thank you chris appreciate it uh jane i'm bumping tactical the front he was ahead of you but it looked like you got up and then i'll get to jane and then that'll be the show tactical what's up hey how's it going good how are you good um i thought jane was first but um oh sorry i thought i thought i saw you were first and then got dropped out i sorry jane i didn't mean to uh uh yeah maybe but um I guess my question is on maps. Uh, it feels like you and Katie are the only kind of people who talk uh, in a humanistic way about maps. And I, I guess I'm wondering if you got pushback from that. Oh, yeah. That's one of the, one of our most unpopular. I mean, my take is basically that the evidence suggests some people are born or like once they hit puberty – are attracted to kids and they don't have control over it. And the best way to deal with it is to like figure out safe therapeutic environments for them to work with a therapist to make sure they never harm a kid. Um, people on the left and the right hate that because the idea is that um, it, you know, somehow normalizes or condones child molestation, uh, which obviously is not what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I agree. Um, that's not what you're doing. Uh, to an extent, you're humanizing it and just being like, look, this is something they themselves are, are uncomfortable with, right? Like, like, I'm looking for help for this. Oh, yeah. Like in the case of, of yes. So this, this whole thing, I think, really bursts onto the scene with a This American Life segment on the so-called virtuous pedophiles, which is obviously... Excuse me, yeah. a jarring name, um, but yeah, that that's what I'm who I'm talking about. People who, 
And there's also uh, something in Germany called Project Dunkenfeld. Um, the goal is to get these guys, and they're mostly guys, to seek out help before they harm a kid. Uh, and I, I am in favor of those efforts because I think they could work. I'd much rather have um, someone with these attractions talking to a therapist they trust and then just sort of floating around in the world waiting to, like, molest the kid, basically. Yeah, right? Like, uh, I guess my, my issue is no one else talks about this in this way, right? It's uh, on Twitter is uh, MAP equals minor attracted person equals pedophile. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it, it is just a branding thing. M a map is just their preferred name for pedophile. I don't necessarily feel like you have to use a group's preferred name for themselves if there's a reason not to. And I can sort of understand the argument that minor attracted person um, maybe whitewashes pedophile a little. But it basically means the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much. Hopefully you get to Jane. I will get to Jane now. Thank you, Tactical. We don't end on this thing. <laughs> Bye, dude. Jane, sorry about that. I, I swore that I thought the other dude was ahead of you, but what's up? Oh, um, no, no worries. Um, well, I was just actually called for something different, but but I, I thought what Chris was talking about was kind of interesting. Um, and you had said some of your <clears throat> listeners maybe are kind of hooked into the turf discussion. Um, and, I mean, I, I sort of am. I guess I feel I am. Um and some of the splintering and stuff like that is interesting. I haven't followed deeply why, for some reason, Posey Parker, who repeatedly does not identify herself as a feminist or any political, she just sees herself, I think, as a, a woman who lives in Britain who's standing up uh, for girls and women. And it's as simple as that as far as she's concerned. But there was some sort of rift, I think, she was going off sometimes with her videos. I don't find them to be very linear. Um, I don't find her to be a super linear thinker. I connect to what she's saying, though. And I do think I connect into this conversation quite a bit. On Saturdays, I go to um, WDI International. They have um, for women. They have I think anybody can go. It's on their website. It's just um, listening to this this issue, the redefinition of what it means to be a woman on a global level. It's. It's really very hard not to see that there's some compelling need to really stand up against this, that it's like it's so extreme that I also don't know that I care that Matt Walsh has other views on Christ and Christianity that I don't share or that Tucker Carlson has views on things I don't share. I mean, a lot of these people like Karadansky, Posey Parker, I think it's been on Tucker Carlson, they're repeatedly saying, well, we're not getting interviewed anywhere else. Nobody else is picking up this story. And I've often thought, and this is sort of a little soul searching, if I got offline, would I notice it? And I do. I can't deny it. I'm a school teacher. I see it. It's so unbelievable because at the very same time, there's been a push for social acceptance at the very same time when there seems to be a lot of legislation being passed. In the dead of night, the dark of night, people don't even know that these self-ID laws were being passed. It feels so coordinated and preposterous and absurd that it's not coming in with, why don't you understand where people are coming from? Because that's where I used to be. I lived in New York City and I was very, under I didn't care that somebody was trans and came into the bathroom. I never considered it. But then I started learning more about it. And I'm like on another end of this conversation where... I, I'm sorry, but, and I, I just do want to say, I don't hear a lot of ladies calling into your show. And I just kind of wonder sometimes I don't hear you talk about 
the unbelievable global impact on women because in other countries, they would love to, to redefine a woman as anyone who feels they are. And I'll just say one other thing, so I, I, um, I don't want to talk too long, but uh, in Brazil, some uh, women, there was one WDI um, uh, presentation, they, they do a speaker and then there's like rooms afterwards. You can only be a woman to go into those rooms. So you have to keep a camera on. But the, the um, speakers, those get up, put up on YouTube. And these Brazilian women are very concerned with the high number of trans women running for office in Brazil in, in seats that were set aside for women. Same thing in Germany. There's a man sitting in the seat that was assigned to a woman, but he's calling himself a woman. And so this is very alarming. And I know in Brazil that there's huge transphobia, I mean, beyond belief. Even so, you could easily manipulate this. And it's very, very concerning, very concerning. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I gave a good review in the Times to Helen Joyce's book. Um, I think self-ID absolutely requires a conversation. And I think the situation we're in now where it's genuinely the case that in a lot of liberal settings, if you are even mildly sort of inquisitive about this, or if you have questions, you can get a lot of like professional and reputational trouble. I think that's a messed up situation. I also think it's it's just not going to last because like the more people learn exactly what's entailed in like full-blown self-ID it's just destined to be a very you know unpopular policy but i feel like i've written about it and we've talked about it to be honest can you hear me sorry jen you got i pressed the wrong button um yeah i'll say that that it's been a very i mean i think it seems to me that it's youth transition that's been, which is where I came into this, actually. I was more shocked about the kids. I didn't realize, you know, so, for example, if I could just say, um, in schools in my state, you, we're putting pads and tampons in the boys' bathroom. And it, it, it skips this entire step of, well, why are, I mean, I'm going to say it, girls going into the boys' bathroom. And it's already presumed that that's what's going on. So there's a presumptive self-identification law in the state that I'm in, it, it seems to me, I don't see how it couldn't be. Um, and that, I mean, it, it is alarming like to, to preside over that and to, as a, as a, a woman with my kids, my, my, my students, I'm going to encourage or stand by and let it happen. The idea that I'm going to encourage a young girl to think that she belongs in the boy's bathroom. And the reason I bring, bring it up because I see these kids and they are, I don't believe that they are I know they're not the trans that it, that that this these are not genuinely deeply held stable experiences that they're having. They're when when they come and talk to me, I it's just it, it's so obviously a confused teenager, and there's no everyone sitting on their hands and standing by as it comes in more and more and more and more and more, and it's very hard not to. I don't know if you've ever seen Jennifer Billick's um, blog. But when she talks about like unwinds the money, it does start to feel like there's some concerted effort globally. And it's it, it it's what can we do now? The 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 law's already been passed in the in the state. So it, it the time that talked about it was before and they passed these laws very quietly. And it was some very small representative. I don't even know why. And the language is so couched. There's no word of woman and student bathroom is define someplace else and so it's not clear when you talk about menstruating students most people are they shortcut that and say okay girls 
Yeah, uh, the the Belek thing. It doesn't mean girls. It means it, you know it's not what they mean by. Yeah. It. I'm sorry. I, the Belek thing. I, my understanding is she's like genuinely said some anti-Semitic stuff. Is that not true? I haven't listened to. If she has, I haven't heard it. But it. But I would argue that she does. I mean, if this is where it's where you, what you mean, she does talk about capitalism and global capitalists and things like that for sure. If 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 you mean that, like a couched kind of anti-Semitic stuff, I haven't heard that. Yeah. But uh, actual anti-Semitism. But if you're saying like, yes, she does talk about capitalism a fair bit. I don't know. I haven't seen that myself. Gotcha. I'm not saying I. I'm not saying I don't believe that. I just. Um, I mean, it's she does offer some compelling evidence that that. I mean, it, it does feel like when you hear these st- people talking around the globe and you hear South African women talk about it or Nigerian women talk about how absolutely devastating this is. The, the idea of re- reducing the definition of woman down to anyone who feels or reducing it to a feeling. Some, I, I think that there's, that's, it's, I don't see any reason that we should be doing that. I really don't. I don't see any, it's, it's, I don't see any right to it. I, it seems so wrong and so scary and so dystopian and Orwellian and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to look, there's a times of Israel article um, about uh, Bilak. It, it, I don't know how much of this is legit, but it says she's questioned the quote Jewish aspect of the transgender transhumanist agenda, which I, I obviously find creepy. I'm not saying you would have, um, known that but she's written uh, for tablet a fair bit though yeah yeah that there was an article there um i yeah i look i um i think that the idea that your sex is just what you think it is in all circumstances has some obvious problems that i've tried to highlight in my work so i guess i'll leave it at that but uh thank you for the uh call um yeah this is one of these things where i just like it flashed in my head like didn't she say something trend uh anti-Semitic and, and, but I know you shouldn't do that because sometimes people say stuff about people they didn't say. It looks like there's a direct quote of her talking about the quote, Jewish aspect of the transgender transhumanist agenda. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll look into it more. Please <coughs> thank you for the mute button. Okay. On that note, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Thank you to everyone for calling in. I appreciate uh, your thoughts. And as always, I would just ask if you like what I'm doing on the show, spread the word, tell other people about it, and get them to uh, yeah follow me and subscribe and call in. And uh, yeah, Jane, I didn't mean to blindside you with that. I just I had heard that. I'll, I'll look into it. I don't know. It seems like it was one remark. Um, the other points you're making are fair. Uh, but yeah, I hope everyone has a good night. Bye.